I'm Michelle Polino with Jessica Rosenthal, and this is Fox News Radio. And we're spending a few moments with actor, writer, and director Peter Berg. Peter's got a new film in theaters. It's titled Mile 22. It's about some of the people that Peter Berg loves and admires, the men and women that work for the CIA. I'm in love with the men and women that work for the CIA, who we never hear about, who work in Ground Branch and Special Activities Group, who are out there doing the rough work for us. And we're very, very much in love with those people. Yeah, I can feel your love for them. And it was interesting to me in this story, too, Peter, how you wove Jimmy's tale in in the beginning of that intro. And I, I wanted to ask you, was that, like, these are special people, paramilitary people, right? Yeah, very much so. And a lot of them grow up in, in troubled homes and and... Uh, is is that the correlation that you made there? Well, I think that, um, uh, you know, for anyone that's been uh, fortunate enough to meet this particular culture, I'm talking about um, people that are very anonymous. They work for the CIA. They work in the paramilitary units of the CIA. Most of these um, people are very autonomous free thinkers. They operate on their own. They operate without a safety net. Um, they often operate in very violent uh, situations, and a lot is asked of them mentally, and these people can be very unusual mentally. They're uh, oftentimes lone wolves who have had complex backgrounds, not necessarily, you know, violent or troubled childhoods, but these are people who have served generally in the military, have seen a lot of really rough, pardon my language, and um, have paid a price, and that price can be their sanity. Uh, and, and they do that in service for, uh, of our country and for us. So I have tremendous respect for them. It really is a love story for you, isn't it? Kind of. I mean, I'm a big fan of anybody who's willing to put themselves in harm's way of military, of first responders, of paramedics, of firefighters. I was out last night like a lunatic riding around with some buddies who uh, run the, uh, the Skid Row Firehouse in downtown L.A., and I spent five hours riding around with those guys, and you know, my I just really uh, get a lot of inspiration from people who are willing to to do this kind of work. I find them to be awesome, really a lot of fun, and I generally prefer spending time with them than uh, than that with that type of uh, human being than anyone else. Hmm. Why? I don't know. I just find um, there's a there's an honesty, there's an authenticity. There's a sense of patriotism that makes sense to me when I meet with you know m- most first responders. You know, not always. I met some jerks, but there's jerks everywhere. Yeah. But generally, you know, any anyone that's going to dedicate themselves to a life of service like that is certainly not doing it for the money and the glory. They're doing yeah. it for a higher calling, and I find that to be fantastic and some the kind of thing that I want to put my energy into. Not many filmmakers in Hollywood doing this right now, and you do it. And I got to tell you, I grew up in Delaware County. It's a suburb outside Philly, and my my godson's a a, a policeman. My uh, nephew's a firefighter. You know, mm-hmm. they love your movies. They love you, it. and 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 they love the stories that you tell, be it, because they're their they're their stories. Yeah, well, and they're, and they're great stories, and you know, it's not like. I make these movies out of a sense of, you know, obligation. I don't. I don't feel like this is. It's. It's a requirement that I keep going back to 
these kinds of stories. I legitimately love telling these stories and that this is like, you know, my thing and it's what inspires me. So it's, it's effortless. Um, I've always found to a lot of inspiration in the stories of the kind of men and women that have built this country and protect this country and have the discipline and the patriotism to every day get up and go to work and, mm. and try and make a difference. I, I don't, maybe I'm crazy, but I find that as inspiring as Iron Man. I'm a big fan of Iron Man and mm. Batman and Spider-Man and those guys are awesome, but I'm also a fan of these people. I don't know. I'm, these are my love stories. Peter, this is Jessica Rosenthal. Um, I remember after, because to me, when I watch your films, I'm like, are the people that write these movies and direct them kind of like investigative reporters? I mean, you guys go to a different length to tell your to tell your stories in movie form. And I remember after the Patriots Day movie on the Boston Marathon bombing, I saw you speak at a panel at ArcLight in Hollywood. And it hit me because you were talking about how much work you'd done going through court documents, talking to law enforcement and FBI agents to figure out how to tell this story accurately. And I'll never forget that story you told about how you, you shot the scene with uh, Tsarnaev's wife, I think Catherine, when she was taken yeah. in for questioning. You said you weren't sure how to depict that, and you ended up playing a game of hot and cold with the FBI. Can you yeah, can yeah, you yeah. like give us a little bit of insight into that story now, like how you depict things and the lengths and the conversations you'll have to get there? Well, I mean, that's like part of, um, you know, if you choose to go down the, the path that, that I seem to keep going down, which is to tell real stories, Lone Survivor, Deepwater, Patriot's Day, Friday Night Lights, you know, these are all, these are all real stories. If you, if you want to find the, the magic or the real good stuff, you have to go into that culture. You have mm-hmm. to meet the people. You have to spend, you know, get, spend a lot of time getting to know and getting a real rapport going. And then you start getting the real stories. And, you know, and, and that takes time. And, and I find that as I go deeper into these cultures, and in the, in the case of um, the Boston Marathon bombing, the, the, you know, we were getting to know the FBI agents who investigated and some of the CIA agents who were involved. But they're not, these people don't just open up their books to you and just bring you into their home and tell you everything. Right. It took me a long time to get to a point where some of the FBI agents started talking about some interviews that were done with, with Catherine Zarnayev. And I was like, what? I didn't know that. And they talked about a group um, uh, called the, I believe it's called the HIG, the high, it's like a high value. Yeah, it was like high intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. High, it's basically an interrogation group of the CIA that gets to suspend your constitutional rights if they believe you have knowledge of an imminent terrorist attack. Basically, the gloves come off. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know that. And he started, started telling me, and I asked if I could talk to the agents who interviewed her, and they were like, probably not, but we have the transcripts. Why don't you ask us what you want to know? And I started <laughs> saying, well, did, did you ask her about, you know, did they, were, did they get aggressive with her? And, you know, how did they get And they would say, you probably won't, you're getting warm with those questions. You're cold until they kind of basically – you know, told me what was said by playing the old game hot and cold, which I thought was kind of kind of odd. But, um, and, you know, I I personally have, was glad to know that I was glad to know that um, that we have that capability. You know, hopefully, it's something we don't have to use a lot, and it is certainly not misused. But in the case of 
Catherine Zarnayev, having lived in that kind of proximity to bomb makers, I think I was glad to know that there was a, a way of responding to that with with the CIA and that they went after her. I wanted to ask also because you do have this access to law enforcement and FBI that, that you seek out and you create. I know, um, according to the, the Guardian newspaper, they, they did a FOIA request and they got some documents. Between 1911 and 2017, more than 800 feature films got the support of the U.S. government's Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. And this includes, you know, things like the Terminator and Transformers. And I know even that the CIA effectively kept mentions of the agency, you know, out of films through the 50s. Um, how do you navigate that with, with your films? I mean, you look at something like Patriot's Day or The Kingdom, and uh, clearly you're you're coordinating and maybe even getting approval from defense or intelligence agencies. What is that process about and what's that like? Yeah, I mean, like to... to to break it into like broad categories, I mean, if, if you just start with like, if you want cooperation, really from anyone, I mean, it could be the NFL, it could be Apple, it could be um, the military. If you're if you're approaching them with a um, work of fiction, i.e., Transformers, that's you know, there's one process because it's you know fantasy, and you might ask to film on an aircraft carrier and you know, have a transformer leap out of the water and battle with another transformer on the front deck of an aircraft carrier, that, that sort of, you know, puts you on one path. And that, it's not that it's easier to get approval, but you get looked at uh, sort of under a different microscope. If you come to the military and you're making, uh, excuse me, a movie like Lone Survivor, which is you know, a factual accounting of 19 uh, soldiers who were killed and you know, it was a complex mission that, you know, had things go well, you know, perhaps some mistake, mistakes were made, and there were, you know, there were. It was certainly a flawed mission and a very real mission. And you've got the, the families of the soldiers who died, very much, you know, paying attention, as well as the the teams that the soldiers served in. You're going to be held to a different set of, um, uh, you know, a, a different set of criteria to to get approval. Uh, and I generally fall into the second category, so I have to go very deep. Um, not just with the, the members of the military that sign off, and those can be public affairs officers, but usually it ends up being generals or admirals at a pretty high level at the Pentagon. But we also have to get the blessing of the families. And oftentimes the, the generals or the admirals will check with their public affairs officers to make sure that the families and the friends and the children have been vetted and are on board. And without that, you generally don't get approval. So it's a... It's a long process of, you know, months of meeting people. And generally, we, we don't have to lie and we don't have to. We're certainly not making propaganda. We're not held creatively to their um, wishes, but we do have to get their blessing. And I think once they see that we're, we want to be real, we want to be authentic and our, our respect is there, they, I've been able to get that access. Do you ever worry about walking this fine line of, like, pushing the military or coming across as, as like propagandist. I mean, even though you're telling victim stories and you're telling very real important stories, is that a line you ever feel like you have to walk like, Oh, I'm getting approval from the military to, for this script or from the U S government for this script. I mean, I've never really felt that, um, with, with the movies or the TV shows I've directed, um, commercials for, for the military army Navy commercials there's been a couple of times when I've had to kind of back off and I felt like, um, 
it would be too easy to turn it into a, like a make a commercial that looks like you know an action movie mm-hmm. uh like like a you know a marvel or a dc film and over glamorizes the reality so generally and i i pulled back um at times when shooting commercials and discussed that with with members of the military about wanting to be real and that if you know and and um, wanting to not put in um, over-exaggerated hype on the realities of what it means to join the army or join the navy or the air force, marines, whatever it is. Um, that's where that's where I've seen you know where, where I've been I've come the closest to doing things that I felt was like crossing the line, and I've always backed off mm-hmm. of it or tried to. Peter, it's Michelle again. Did you did you get any considering the political climate in Hollywood right now? Did you get mm-hmm. any pushback? Uh, incorporating President Trump in the film? Not really. I mean, I don't. I, I really do do everything I can to to just flat out divorce myself from that kind of a discussion. And I'm not going to make fun of a sitting president. I'm not going to hype a sitting president. I'm not going to attack um, the policies of our government in in my movies. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's it's not the form that I choose to express myself politically. I'm, I'm, I've been, you know, I think pretty comfortable with my ability to stay out of out of that. You know, I mean, I do a bobblehead of President Trump and a bobblehead of President Obama next to each other. And, you know, it's meant to be a, a light moment and a pretty heavy movie. But mm-hmm. there's certainly no political statement behind it. And I haven't I haven't um, people rarely engage me in those kinds of conversations. Yeah. I think I think Hollywood is is much less political than, than people give it credit for. Actually, really, right? I mean, I do. I mean, I mean, like I said, I was at a firehouse last night. I'm talking about the film business. I was at a um, firehouse last night, and there was like thirty firemen, and they were flipping between um, Fox and MSNBC, and just arguing with each other. It was great. I was like one of the most like spirited political debates I'd heard and it was a group of 30 LA firefighters and I'm, I haven't heard a debate that lively and are well articulated in a Hollywood restaurant or at a Hollywood party uh, in 10 years. Right? <laughs> like, right? I mean, but, <laughs> these guys had a lot of opinions. And I was like, they were all very smart. They were listening. They were tolerant. They were, they were able to absorb both sides. I thought quite well. It was a very, it was a very interesting night. But the, but you only will find that in an LA firehouse or talking to LA police. You won't be able to find that in LA when I cover stuff. Or yeah. uh, my business often has a hard time getting out of itself, and people, um, you know, that that call the shots spend a lot of their time in the same neighborhoods. And this is, this is just a reality. It's, it's not necessarily an attack, but it's true that, um, you know, I think we would all be served by getting out of our, our patterns of life and our comfort zones and, you know, going to other parts of the country and other parts of the world and meeting people and just experiencing more um, because people tend to get extremely insulated and, you know, watch only their news channel, go to the same three restaurants, have the same conversations with the same 15 people and and call it a day. That's true. I want to talk for a moment about your bromance with uh, Mark Wahlberg. 
just trying to get him to meme of I want a peat burger at Wahlburgers. So he, I'm going to keep making movies of him until there's a peat burger on the menu at Wahlburger. <laughs> oh, man. He, I, I, yeah. He, yeah. I know he has the power to make it happen, but he keeps saying it's his brother's decision, and I'm not calling BS on that. So, if anybody knows Mark, write him or something, send him something, and tell him to make a Pete Burger. Otherwise, we're going to have a 15 Pete Burger, Mark Wahlberg movie. I, I know. It's it's just going to keep happening. We're going to have to sit through these movies until they make a Pete Burger. This is... Burger. I want a Pete Burger. But no, Mark, Mark obviously really has become my brother, you know, and people ask why we keep working together, and I'm like, well, we really like working together. We like each other. Our families like each other. Um, we can be very straight, you know, straight up with each other. If I upset him, he's not shy about letting me know and vice versa. Nice. And we just are very, have a very similar kind of creative aesthetic and have similar views on life and we get along well. And so we keep working together. And I want a Pete Burger. <laughs> we got to get that Pete Burger. Is there anything we can do? Please. We're gonna we're in there. Plug it. Plug we're it. Plug it. Yeah, already done. Done. Um, finally, what what are your thoughts on the Oscar changes recently with the uh, most popular? I don't even understand it. What is it going to be? Most popular movie? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they created a hashtag yeah. <laughs> in order to get it going. Hashtag popular Oscar. I mean, I think on some level, I don't know. I mean, I I can't help but note that that every year it seems like more Oscar films are nominated that I personally have not heard of, much less seen. And I think that what we're seeing in general, you know, with everything, with, with the NFL, with music, with television, with, there's just so much stuff out there now that it's it's very hard to keep up. And a lot of times um, people are, you know, not able to see all these movies, certainly in the movie theaters. Um, and so the, the, Oscar, the Oscars may feel less relevant to them. So the, this is an attempt to try to say, okay, well, maybe these aren't necessarily the best movies according to whoever decides what the best is. But these are movies that actually people really saw and liked. So maybe we should acknowledge that there are a lot of movies that people really love and see that aren't, Oscar worthy, and I think whatever what Oscar worthy used to be isn't doesn't have quite the same impact that you know today, and so this is an attempt by the Academy to acknowledge that. Does that make sense? I don't even know if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Right. Yeah. Basically, and, and... nobody is going to movies anymore. So the Oscars <laughs> are like, oh God, we got to do something. You know, maybe Black Panther should get an Oscar because people seem to really love it, and it, you know. Lots of people went and saw it. So maybe we should acknowledge that movie actually existed. And I know, for me, you know, my friends are like, "What? What movie won?" Like, <laughs> they're yeah. like, they've never heard. I mean, these are my friends back home. They've never heard of these movies. So I've uh, never heard of half of the movies, and I'm like, and if I, I just haven't heard of them, right? It's like every day I get, I come in, I'm like trying to keep up with Netflix, and I'm like, oh, I just. And I'm like, did someone, have you seen Castle Rock? And I'm like, no, but did you see Square? 
I'm like, what? And it's like every day there's five shows. I'm like, I can't keep up. It's it's too much. I know. That's great. All right, one final question because I know you got to go. and we, we really compromised your time, and I so appreciate your time so much. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the, you guys. The story, this story, because I really, because I thought about it again this morning, the the stories is based on a true story. Mile twenty two. I it, it was just so intense. So it's based on um, the Ground Branch, which is pretty. You can Google it. Always blows my mind that people don't know more about the Ground Branch. It's a testament to the CIA's desire to not publicize their actions, but it's all public. So, you know, anybody who's got some free time, Google Ground Branch. They do really, really crazy operations, and they call themselves the third option when diplomacy can't get it done, military is not viable, um, and uh, the, the third option is Ground Branch. So when you see something like Trump shaking hands with the South Koreans, you can bet somebody in the Ground Branch somewhere did something to someone to help make sure that handshake took place. Extremely effective. Um, They have uh, very, very um, broad tactics and um, helping people defect um, in hostile environments, which is what Mile 22 is about, is the type of operation that they have done many times in the past. So Hmm. the the operation is the type of operation they do, and the, the group is very real. It's extraordinary, and I think I read somewhere that that this is possibly becoming a a, a TV series based on this group. Is, it, is this correct? Well, they they asked us if we want to do one, so we're I'm looking at it, but right now I just want to go on vacation. I don't want to do TV. Shows. You want to eat a peat burger you. and and go on oh, vacation. I would love it. I would love it. I want to go to Mexico and eat a peat burger. That's, That's all it. I want to do. All right. Well, we're gonna let you go do that. Mile 22 is in theaters. I'm Michelle Polino with Jessica Rosenthal. And this is Fox News Radio. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.